do a, just a quick search of Scripture, you'll find that God is squarely on the side of the broken and the brokenhearted every single time. Like there, there is no doubt that God is on the side of the broken and the brokenhearted. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And if you follow Jesus in his ministry throughout Judea, there was something about brokenness that drew him, almost like a magnet to people, broken things and, and broken people. I mean, and Jesus, he walked past the pompous and the proud and the people that had it all together, and he sought out the tax collector, the, the sinner. And, um, and that, that was Jesus' ministry, and he saw potential in, in the basement merchandise, like the, the ones that others had, had overlooked. And, and when the religious crowd protested, he chided them, and he said, they that are, are whole, those who are well, need not apply. Like Jesus, his invitation was for those who are broken, the least and the last, the weak and the lost. That was his audience, but I don't think we should be surprised by that. When Jesus started his ministry, when he first stepped on the scene, one of the first things he said was a quote from Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. He says some other things, but that was right at the forefront of his ministry. And so when we talk about brokenness, sometimes, sometimes it's our own, like things that we brought on ourselves, our own failures or things where we have let other people down. Sometimes the brokenness is things that others have done to us, things that just life has done to us. And for the next uh, four weeks, we're going to take a look at, at both like things that we've done, things that others have done to us, and unpack this idea of God of uh, the broken. Uh, several, several months ago at our guys' meetup, uh, Kevin shared a, a very vulnerable story with us, like of, of something that happened a few years ago in his life. And, and you can only be vulnerable with people if God's grace has been at work in your life, like if you're not having to, to put on a mask, like if you're okay with what God has done, for you. Um, and so we, at our meetup, he shared, and, and afterwards, uh, we were chatting, and he said that he'd be willing to, to share with the church, because I, I think hearing his story and, and Vanessa's story can bring uh, healing, healing to us as well. And um, so I've asked Kevin to come and share his story this morning. So Kevin, if you want to come, and, and in hearing, yeah, go ahead, yeah, give him a hand. Because <laughs> uh, if it took courage around a table with a group of five guys, what he's about to share takes a tremendous amount of courage. And so as he's sharing this morning, I'd encourage everybody uh, to, uh, to extend grace uh, to Kevin and Vanessa, to be praying, for, even, even as you're listening, just be praying silently that God would, uh, would be upon Kevin, his peace and favor and, and grace. And, and Kevin, All right. thank you for your, your willingness. You bet. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is nobody's more excited about church being over than me. <laughs> Especially today. Um, so, uh, before I get started, let me just ask you guys. What is your story? Have you ever just blown it? Have you ever been drugged through circumstances that 
you didn't create, but you had to suffer through. What's your story? What images are going through your head right now? friend of mine, um, really good friend of mine, good fishing buddy of mine, uh, told me the story once of a, his sister is a special needs woman. She's 55 or so about now. And, and uh, one day he was telling me this story about his sister, and she just went off the rails mentally. And, and uh, she was doing crazy things, like she would go out on the streets and try to sell yarn to cars that were going by. You know, or, or she was having a cup of coffee and she'd want to put eight teaspoons of sugar in her coffee. And uh, so when my buddy or his wife tried to intervene in the situation, his, his sister would get upset at them and she would lift her arm up at them and she would say, I freeze you. I freeze you into eternity. So I was listening to this story and I was thinking, I'm going to try that at home. So Vanessa and I had, you know, disagreement. I freeze you. Not going to lie. It shut down all disagreement right away. A couple of days of this and I'm strutting around the house. I got the power. But there was a problem. I realized after a couple of days of this, every night that we climbed into bed, she was still cold as ice. Frigid, Arctic. Took her a couple months to thaw out. So, uh, Brandy, put up the put up the slide if you would. Speaking of communication, if Vanessa and I were to put on a marriage seminar, this would be our flyer. Honesty and communication, people. Which in our marriage, as you hear about our story, you'll learn that uh, we've struggled with communication and even honesty. But, but what is your story? Has it fallen apart? Is it falling apart? <clears throat> Have you, have you been deeply hurt by the people you love the most? As Matthew told you, um, my name is Kevin Geiger, and Vanessa's sitting back there with Shirley, and we've been married for over 30 years now. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, I love that woman hundred times more today and a hundred times better than I did the day I married her. But I'm also here to tell you marriage is hard. Um, man, there's times when you don't even like the other person. 
takes amazing amount of restraint not to freeze them into eternity. So um, before I tell you about my story, let me, let me tell you about Naomi's story. Her story is found in the book of Ruth. And uh, if you haven't read the book of Ruth, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. It's only four chapters. You can read it in a sitting. It's right after the book of Judges in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read the first few verses. In Ruth chapter 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of their two sons was Malon and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. That's a mouthful. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. And then both Malon and Chilion died. And the woman was left without her sons or her husband. Let that just sit there for a minute. You know, we were just singing, He will never let you down. He will never let you down. But sometimes we think, He's let me down. So, Elimelech was blowing it, by the way. I mean, if I mentioned Ruth comes right after the book of Judges. The very last sentence in the book of Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then we roll right into the book of Ruth, and that's what Elimelech was doing. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. But God given, had given the Israelites the land, the promised land. He didn't expect them to leave the promised land. They were supposed to stay there and let him bless it. But there was a famine in the land, so because, primarily because of their disobedience. So Elimelech packs up his bags heads to Moab, and then on top of that, his boys marry pagan women. Another thing they weren't supposed to do. So, you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, I don't know why they died. I don't know if it was God's judgment or just circumstances. But for whatever reason, all the men in Naomi's life had passed away. So the future didn't look bright for her. She was probably going to live a life of poverty and destitution the rest of her days. So check out what happens when she comes back into Bethlehem. Thank you. She is, um, her and uh, Ruth, uh, the other daughter-in-law decided to stay. So her and Ruth are coming into town after 10 years. 
And it says, so the two of them went into, uh, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? So to give you a little background, the, the name Naomi means pleasant or beautiful. And the name Mara means bitter. But the problem is, is when we read this, we kind of, we just kind of gloss over it. We, we don't put ourselves into the story. We don't think about what's going on in Naomi's life. So I, I submit to you that it went a little more like this. She's walking into town with her new daughter-in-law in tow. And she's been gone for 10 years. The women of the town are like, is that Naomi? Na hey, Naomi. And I think she stopped and she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. So don't call me Naomi. You ever felt that? Do you see the accusation? She's leveling right at the Lord. She's saying, God, this is your fault. Man, if, if you hadn't caused a famine, we would have never gone to Moab. Maybe my husband and son would still be alive today. But no. I went out full and you brought me back empty. I mean, where was God in all this? Was he sleeping? It was May 2007. Vanessa and I and our family had lived in Colorado for about six and a half years. And it was a tumultuous <laughs> six years. Um, but I thought things were up and to the right. I thought our family was on track. Um, we showed up into Colorado six years before, and Kevin had an anger problem. And God decided to deal with that in a hurry. And that's a whole other story. Maybe I'll share that with you sometime. But um, I had worked hard to address that. And uh, I, I got plugged into church. I was working in middle school ministry. Guys, I was, I was probably living the most authentic Christian life I'd ever lived. I was happy. I mean, life wasn't perfect. It never is. But I thought our family was doing good. And I thought Vanessa was happy too. But I was very, very wrong. 
clueless, actually. Uh, but I, I started to get clued in when one day in May 2007, Vanessa went down to Texas. I thought she was going down there to visit family, and she did, kind of, sort of. But really what she ended up doing, what her plan was all along, was to spend the majority of her time down there with people from her past. People that she knew before we even met. People that back then and I would say even now were not having a good influence on her. I didn't know what was going on. I, um, I knew something was up. I couldn't get a hold of her. I'd call, leave messages. She'd never call me back. This went on for a couple of days. I was starting to panic. And then somehow, um, I, you know, in the course of, th- of, of the daily routine, I, I stumbled across an email. And my heart dropped into my stomach. My world started caving in around me. <laughs> I realized my wife was leaving me. What? What is happening? I was angry, hurt, incredulous. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I thought I was an okay husband. You're leaving? What? I wanted answers. And Vanessa wasn't giving me very many that were very satisfying. And then when she finally came back home, I was, I was Bruce Almighty. Trying to figure out, what do I got to do to make you love me again? I'm telling you, this wasn't working. I mean, I, I promised... <laughs> I'll get you more flowers. I'll take you on dates more. I'll be more attentive. Tell me, what is it? What do I... I'll do what, I'll do what I got to do. I didn't realize it was this bad. She just shrugged, packed her bags, and moved out. Fine. I freeze you then frees you into eternity. Problem was, is I'd, I'd been freezing her for years. I didn't even know it. So I descended into this deep, lonely darkness. And you know, um, it's kind of funny. Those were some of the darkest days, but some of the most cherished Moments with God. I mean, I cried out to him like never before. One day I was driving north. I was driving past Bronco Stadium. And God spoke to me. 
unmistakable. He gave me a verse. It, it might as well have been audible. It was such a powerful experience for me. He spoke to me, Psalm 37.4. I had actually memorized this as a kid. And it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, I almost had a wreck. I was furious. I wanted to pull over on I-25 and have it out with God right there on the highway. Am I not delighting in you? I mean, I'm going to church, I'm doing middle school, I, I give my time, my money, and God, and God, I've been faithful to my wife. And, and you're letting these people take her away from me. You're just going to let that happen? N no. I've been the one who's been faithful, God, and you... You haven't even shown up. I suppose I felt just like Naomi did. Naomi poured her heart out to God and, you know, you sense that th there's still this ultimate trust in her heart. You know, she's not turning her back on God. She's turning her face towards him. Saying, I don't get this. And what's cool about the story, <laughs> thank God, he doesn't zap her with a lightning bolt or strike her with a disease. No, he just lovingly and patiently begins to provide. Or Naomi. How? Through this incredibly loyal and devoted daughter-in-law named Ruth. Who, by the way, had lost her husband too. And was probably mourning as well. So... In, um, in Ruth chapter 2, Naomi, Naomi starts to figure out, well, i got to figure out how we're going to eat. It's like I said, widowed women were going to struggle with survival. And uh, so she sends Ruth out to glean the scraps off of the fields. You know, maybe we can eke out an existence that way. And the scriptures tell us in two, chapter 2, verse 3, that she went out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just so happened to come to the part of the field that belongs to Boaz. Just so happened. Just so happened. There's no just so happened when it comes to our stories. See, it turns out Boaz was what they call a kinsman redeemer. He was a relative of theirs. It also turns out that Boaz was a very good and righteous man. 
And um, so God had a plan all along. He was going to use this kinsman redeemer. So let, let me give you some, some terminology. The word redemption means to avert evil by the payment of a price. And the kinsman redeemer was, was a person in that culture who would uh, willingly step in and pay a price for a family member that was in trouble or in danger or needed help. Sometimes it was, a, a lot of times it was a widow situation, right? And so the kinsman redeemer would sometimes buy the widow's land as a way of providing her a means of survival. But it always costs the Redeemer a price. The Redeemer had to pay the price. So, the rest of the book... The rest of the book is about um, Boaz basically spending the re- you know his energies trying to rescue Naomi and Ruth from their situation. And there's some drama, there's some humor. Basically, Ruth asked Boaz to marry her. I mean, it's uh, it's a great story, but let me read you the end. In uh, 4.13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. If you flip over to 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. The empty... has been made full. The bitter is once again pleasant. I guess maybe God wasn't sleeping after all, was he? So there's a scene in Bruce Almighty where Where Bruce is just defeated. He's, he's walking in the rain. He's soaking wet. He falls down on his knees. And he says, I'm done. I don't want to be God anymore. I surrender to your will. And then he gets hit by a semi-truck because he kneeled down and in a highway somewhere. I've had a similar surrender experience. I actually um, highly recommend it. Vanessa and I are about two months into our separation. And I'm, I'm done. I'm, I've tried every form of <laughs> manipulation, desperation, I couldn't make her love me again. God was going to have to intervene or I was going to have to let her go. 
So I don't know why she was there. It was a Friday night. She was over at the house. The kids were out with their friends, so it was just the two of us. And we had a very heart-to-heart, sweet conversation. First real dialogue since we separated. We cried. We even kissed. I desperately wanted her to stay the night. But we both decided she needed to go. She did. I sat down on my chair in my living room. I just held out my hands and I said out loud, I said, God, however it needs to be. I mean, tears are streaming down my face. However it needs to be, God. There was a storm brewing outside and the moment I uttered, I'm not kidding you, I'm not making this up. The moment... I uttered my surrender. The door burst open. Wind comes gushing in. It picks up all these papers in the room. I'm just sitting in my chair watching these papers swirl around me as they slowly drift back to the ground. The hairs on the back of my neck and on my arms are standing straight up. I believe God just entered the building. It's almost as if he was saying, all right, I can work with this. One month later, Vanessa's grandmother died. I believe it was divine appointment. Maybe Naomi's, the deaths in Naomi's life, Or divine appointment. I don't know. But the timing for this was surreal. What happened is Vanessa went to that funeral. And she watched her mom and dad. Grieve that death. Together. He used that experience. That I could have never manufactured. To start turning Vanessa's heart. Back towards me. Maybe she just figured, I'm never going to have that with any other guy. So shortly after that, she called me, asked if we could go back to counseling. And so we did. There was a Long road to recovery for both of us. Trust had to be rebuilt. You know, when you heal, there's always scar tissue. You want to forget sometimes, but you can't. But (laughs) this whole time, the whole time we were separated... I kept wanting God to fix Vanessa. He kept holding a mirror up, saying, why don't you work on this person? I'll take care of Vanessa. 
Oh, and that freeze thing you do? So I did. I started to look in the mirror. Yeah, you know, I, I really had I really had come a long way with the anger thing, but I still had stuff. Pornography and lust were still an issue in my life. God wanted that gone too. You know, stuff like that. I don't know, it just made me, maybe uh, I objectified even my own wife. Didn't exactly make her feel like she was the cherished wife of of my youth, right? We both have flaws. We need a redeemer. Someone that could pay the price that we could never, never pay. So, let me just read for you real quickly. Dropping all kinds of things here. Um, The book of Matthew... Chapter 1. I'm just going to read backwards. This is the genealogy of Christ. And it says, So all the generations of Abraham... Well, let's see. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, was the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. If I read backwards from there, about the genealogy of Christ, you're going to read about... Uh, you know, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Uzziah, the father of Joram. You're going to read about David, the king of Israel, who fathered Solomon. You keep going backwards, and you're going to read that Ram was the father of Amenadab, who was the father of Nashon, who was the father of Salmon, who was the father of Boaz. who fathered Obed through Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, the king. Do you think Naomi had any idea she was bouncing on her knee the grandfather of the king of Israel? See, she thought her story was about her. Do you think she had any idea that that little boy was of the line and lineage of the Messiah? No. Brandy, put up that last verse, if you would. See, I submit to you today that your story, my story, God's story. The women gathered around Naomi and they said, she's holding that baby and they say, 
Blessed be the Lord. He has not left you this day without a Redeemer. Did you know that about your story? The Lord has not left you today without a Redeemer. I just wonder, can we surrender? Thank you. I love Kevin and Vanessa. I know Kevin was sharing this story. Vanessa's also been very vulnerable in this, this story as well. And when we gather on Sundays, we don't know people's situations. We don't know people's backgrounds. Uh, and I don't, I don't know some of your stories, partially. Uh, but you know your story. And you know the... Um, the amount of brokenness that, that's in your life, um, maybe things currently or things from years past that, um, and just like like Kevin said, where you like God? Where are you, God? Um, how could you let this happen? And um, Psalm fifty one seventeen, the psalmist cries out to God and says, "A broken and contrite heart, you God will not despise." And this morning, for, for each person here, I just want you to know that God does not despise a broken heart. And um, so we're going to move into a time of communion. And, and usually in communion, I read uh, from the New Testament where it talks about on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and, and do this in remembrance of me. But I want to look back at Isaiah 61 is where we started this morning. It was what Jesus quoted when he started his ministry. But in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. And it goes on to say, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And we believe in communion, that in, in some mysterious way that, that God is present with us and that he is inviting us to his table. Though, though we are broken, and when we, we come to communion, um, we're reminded that our Savior was broken for us so that he could be our Redeemer and that price was paid. And, and so as we... In just a moment, I'll invite you to, to come forward and receive communion. But just know that you have been invited, despite your brokenness, despite what's going on, to dine with the living God.